This is missions weekend, and it's something a little bit different than what we've done before. Now, as I thought about preaching on missions today, I thought about immediately Acts chapter 1. In fact, I had somebody say to me, you know, this is missions weekend. Why don't you preach on Acts chapter 1? Did you know that God can speak to you through other people? <laughs> and so I said, that's perfect. That's exactly what I'll do. So take your Bibles and look with me today in one of the greatest examples of me. In fact, this is where missions began in the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. The church from its inception by Jesus Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has been all about taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. That's what missions is. And notice what the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Paul or uh, Stephen, who wrote this? Luke, I'll get it out in a minute. If I keep naming them, I get, I get, finally get it, all right? Luke, I'm sure Paul and Stephen had something to do with it, all right. Luke the first, wrote the first account I composed, Theophilus. I love the word Theophilus. You know what it means? Theos, God, philos, love. He was a lover of God. It was a real person. It might have been a nickname, or it might have just been a code word for all Christians. But he says, I have gave this first account I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven. That's the ascension. After he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering, that is after he died on the cross, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but rather to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? And notice what Jesus said. They were thinking about different things. They were, the Jews were thinking about God giving them greatness again as a nation. And they were thinking about Israel being great again like it was in the days of King David. But that's not what Jesus had on his mind. He didn't have on his mind national greatness. He had on his mind the kingdom of God. And the Bible says, he said in verse to them, 7, he said, said to them, it is not for you to know. Would you say that with me? It is not for you to know. The next time somebody says, do you know when Jesus is going to come back? Just say, it's not for us to know. That's just for God. God takes care of all that calendar stuff. I'm, not, I'm, suppo I'm supposed to do what I'm supposed to do. God's going to do what God's going to do. He's going to make sure that he comes. I'm not worried about him coming. I don't know when it is. I have no desire to try to predict that. I just want to serve Jesus until he comes. It's not for you to know. Times are epics, which the Father has fixed. I like that. Nobody's going to change what God has fixed by his own authority. But here's what you need to be concerned about, he says. Look at verse 8. In fact, let's so good, let's read it together off the screen. Would you read it with me, please? 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. You're to be my witnesses. That's evangelism here, but it's missions there. Missions is just evangelism outside of your immediate area. That's all missions is. And guess who's a missionary? Every Christian. Every Christian is to take the gospel to their local area and then their surrounding area and then all to the nations we must go. Let's pray together. Father, Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from thy law. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Let's all pray that together. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, and if that's your prayer, say amen. amen. Well, let's talk about taking the gospel to the world. First of all, the priority of world evangelization. The priority has got to be at the top of our list. Look at verse 6. So when they had come together, they were asking Jesus, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, that's not for you to know. Times or epics which the Father has already fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Jesus is commanding in these verses his disciples to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is a critical moment. It's right before Jesus leaves from the Mount of Olives to go back to heaven in his ascension. You can read about that a little bit later in verses uh, 9 and 10 and 11 down in there. And he did ascend to heaven, but right before he left, he said something very important. He told them that he was leaving, but they were going to receive power and they were to be witnesses for him. They had their mind on something else than making disciples. They had their mind on something else besides missions. They wanted to know when Jesus was going to establish his earthly kingdom. Lord, when are you going to bring about that eschatological event that we know is going to happen and that is you reigning in your millennial reign here God, when are you going to do that, Jesus? When are you going to be King of kings and Lord of lords and make Israel great again? Like most Jews, they believe that's exactly what the Messiah would do, that Israel would enjoy once again their glory days like in the days of King David. And that's exactly why in verse 6 they were asking that. When will you exalt Christianity and when will you exalt Israel's kingdom? And they were asking him. That is in the imperfect text, which means they repeated it over and over again. They were like little children. When are you going to do this, Lord? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? We just had 11 grandbabies at our house and they can be repetitive, all right? And that's what was going on here. They were saying it over and over again. But Jesus totally refused to go down that alley. He wasn't focused on his return and them ruling the world. He was not wanting them to rule the world. He wanted them to win the world to him with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wanted people to hear the gospel and get saved. He wanted people to get saved and then they would be ready for his return. Then they would be ready for the millennial reign of Christ 
That was his priority. That must be our priority as well. Jesus is more concerned in the redemption of people than he is in the rapture. Jesus is more concerned in the great commission than having victory through the great tribulation. We can all be caught up in all the end time stuff all we want to, but Jesus said, if you really believe in the end time, you need to understand that there are 150 thousand people every day on this planet that go to hell because they've never heard the gospel and they don't know Jesus Christ. And that, that's what I'm concerned about, Jesus said, is all these people dying without me. I want you to get your focus off of just studying the Bible on eschatology. Nothing wrong with that, but make sure that that's not the main thing you do. Make sure that the main thing you do is tell people about Jesus Christ. Redemption is what God is excited about to the remotest part of the earth. We know that Jesus' priority was world evangelization because this is the last thing he says. You know, when you study people's last words, you can find out a lot about that person. You remember a guy named Alexander the Great conquered the world, really, the, most of the world at least, in that day. And uh, everything from Macedonia to Pakistan became part of the empire of Greece. And at the age of 33, he died. And right before he died, all he could say was, as he wept, oh, I'm so sorry that there are no more worlds to conquer. He just wanted to fight. He lived a whole life, short life, fighting, killing people, being immoral. Those were his last words. Not very good last words. Then there was a famous atheist who back at the time of the Revolutionary War, he died in 1776, right when the war began, David Hume. And he was a famous author, a famous speaker. And here's what he said right before he died. I am in flames. I believe he was already feeling the flames of hell into which he went, and you know what? He's still there, and he'll always be there because he didn't know Jesus. There was another very famous atheist about the same time. He died two years later, 1778, in France, Voltaire. He was an infidel. He was a famous author and speaker. And his last words, when somebody tried to tell him about Jesus on his deathbed, he said, and I quote, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, never speak to me about that man. Let me die in peace. Can you imagine let, that was your last words? Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, never speak to me of that man. Let me die in peace. He didn't die in peace. And guess who he saw the first second after he died? Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Karl Marx, founder of socialism and communism. One of the reasons I'm against socialism is because it was birthed by a man who was an absolute atheist. Absolute. And Karl Marx died in 1883. And on his deathbed, he screamed at someone who asked him, do you have any final words? Marx purportedly said, Get out of here. Last words are for fools who haven't said enough 
already. He died an angry man, mad at the world. And then Mahatma Gandhi, and famous man, died in 1948. About 15 years before he died, he was bragging on Hinduism. He said, as I know it, it entirely satisfies my soul. It fills my whole being. But a few days before his death, he was speaking differently. He said, my days are numbered. For the first time in about 50 years, I find myself in the slough of despond, that is depression. All about me is darkness. I am praying for light. When people say their final words, usually it means a lot. Jesus' final, final words before he left to go to heaven, you shall receive power. When, you, when my spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses. That's his final words. I want to ask you, are you a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ? And that wasn't just his final words. Jesus began his ministry with words about the Great Commission. Even way back in Matthew chapter 4, at the beginning of his ministry, the Bible says that Jesus said, now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me, and I'll make you, say it with me, fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets. They just dropped their nets, and they followed Jesus. Jesus was all about winning people to Christ at the beginning of his ministry. There's a great, was a great English missionary to China in the 1800s, Hudson Taylor, he founded the China Inland Mission. At his death, some people said he had wasted his life in China, but he left behind 205 mission statements, stations rather, and over 800 missionaries had come from all over the world to help him, and there were over 125,000 Christians in China because of his efforts. I would say that that was a good way to spend your life. And millions upon millions of Chinese people are still being saved today in the underground church. And even though communism is trying to stamp it out still in China, the more they try to crush the Christians, the more they multiply. The Great Commission, Hudson, said, Hudson Taylor said, is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul said when he talked about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said in Romans 1, 14 through 16, I am under obligation. I am in debt. What debt do you owe, Paul? I'm in debt both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for on my part, here's how, how I'm going to pay my debt. I am eager to preach or to proclaim, to share the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. One of my favorite preachers was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I've got his picture on my wall in my office. What a great man of God in the 1800s in London. He was one of the last faithful, conservative, Bible-believing Baptists in the English Baptist movement. And here's what he said about our need to witness. He said, if sinners 
be damned. That is, if they go to hell, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go to hell unwarned or unprayed for. Does it bother you that people die and go to hell? Does it bother you when you drove up here today that most of the people in your neighborhood, their cars will stay in their driveways this morning? Not because they're afraid of COVID, but because they don't fear or reverence God. Most people in Memphis don't go to church. Most people in Memphis are not saved. Most people in America are not saved. In that regard, we are not a Christian nation. We're not even close. Most of the people, the vast majority of the people in the world don't know Jesus Christ. Again, the, our International Mission Board says at least 150,000 people die without ever hearing the name of Jesus every day. Every day, 150,000 people like that die and go to hell. Oh, how we need to change our priorities into the priorities of Jesus, the priority of world evangelization. And then secondly, not just the priority, but the power for world evangelization. How are we going to have enough power to take the gospel to the whole world? I mean to everybody, just to let them hear the gospel. Look at verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit, everybody say Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses. You see that word come upon you? Can we put that back on the screen just a moment? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's the Greek word, epirkamai. Where have I seen that word? Do you remember when the angel Gabriel came to see Mary? And the first one to doubt the virgin birth was the virgin. <laughs> she said, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And what did he say? The Holy Spirit shall what? Come upon you. Epirkamai. And what it meant was she was going to conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now you take that and come to our verse. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You know what that means? Indwells you. You see, until the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit never indwelt anyone except Jesus. But after the day of Pentecost, every believer doesn't just have the Holy Spirit on them. He comes into us. Just like the Spirit came into Mary and Jesus was formed in her womb, just like that, when you get saved now, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, comes in you, and Jesus is in your heart through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Just like Jesus was in her womb, Jesus is in your heart, epirkamai, he comes upon you, he comes within you. That's exactly what the power of God's Holy Spirit does for each of us. Jesus said in John 14, the night before he died, verses 16 and 17, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Just in those few words, you see the triunity or the trinity of the holy Godhood. 
I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. That's the Spirit, and Jesus is doing the asking. He's the Son. That he, the Spirit, may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Lost people can't receive the Holy Spirit because it does not see him. The world does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you. And what's the last part of the sentence? Say it with me. And will be in you. How many of you know that it's better for the Lord to be in us than just with us. Amen? So that's what's going on here. That's the power we have. You say, Brother Steve, are you telling me that God Almighty, His Holy Spirit lives within my physical body if I'm a Christian? That is exactly what I am telling you. And that's what Paul was talking about when he said, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Your body is the temple of the Spirit of the living God. That ought to just excite you. You ought to be able to worship God today. You ought to say, you know what? Uh, there's nothing I can't do that God wants me to do because God is in me. And if Christ is for me, who can be against me? If God is in me, that's all the power I need. I don't have to have any other power. I've got the power of the Holy Ghost. I've got the power of the Spirit of God. You say, now wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, we, we don't get all the Holy Ghost when we got saved. No, what do, you, do you think he comes just... You know, in, in portions, do you think God just gives it on the installment plan? Is that how we get the Holy Spirit? Or does he come totally within us? Up until the day of Pentecost, nobody had him dwelling in it. On that day, there was the baptism. And from then on, the way people get the baptism of the Holy Spirit is through conversion. You say, I don't believe that. Well, the Bible says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For by one Spirit, we were all. Everybody say all. You know what I'm about to say. All means all, and that's all all means. We've all been baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek, slaves or free, and we've all been made to drink. We've all been baptized by one spirit. We've all been made to drink of one spirit. That's a picture of spiritual grounding, uh, drowning. Keep that on the screen just a minute, if you will. Spiritual drowning. Look at it. By one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. We were all baptized into Christ. The Holy Spirit, the minute you repented of your sins, the minute you believed savingly in Jesus, the Spirit of God took you and baptized you into Christ. That's Paul's favorite phrase to talk about being saved. I am in Christ, in Christ. How did I get there? The Holy Spirit baptized me into Christ. Now watch this. I fell in the water, all right? I fell into Christ, or I'm baptized into Christ. Okay, but that's not all. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we've all been made to what? Drink of the Holy Spirit. Not only did I fall in, but I inhaled the Holy Spirit as well. So I'm in Christ by the Holy Spirit, and then he fills me once I'm in Christ. Every Christian, that's being baptized. Every Christian has been baptized in, with, by Whatever preposition you want, you're in Christ Jesus right now because of the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, that's the baptism. I get that at conversion. So what's this other thing called the filling? Oh, listen, there's only one baptism. That's at conversion. But there are multiple fillings. I prayed right. In fact, my wife prayed for me just a while ago. Fill Steve with the Holy Spirit of God. I pray that all the time. I pray that several times a day. Why? Because there's one baptism at conversion, but multiple fillings. And what it is, is the living water flowing out of you like a river. It is the, it's not more spirit coming in you. It's the spirit of God that is 
bubbling up within you, flowing out of you. That's what God calls the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I praise God that the helper will help us as we seek to follow the Lord. The power we have is unbelievable. Back a month before Donna and I got married, back in June of 1980, back in May of 1980, on May the 18th, do you remember Mount St. Helen exploding? Do you remember that? There was so much power that it killed people 16 miles away. They said that the, the power of this explosion was the force of 10 million tons of dynamite, TNT. That's the equivalent of 500 times the power of the atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima in Japan in World War II. 500 times an atomic explosion. And it blew that mountain up and killed people with 300 degree heat many, many, many miles away. It was traveling 200 miles an hour when it hit them. It knocked down Douglas fir trees. It killed many of them over almost 200 feet high, huge trees, knocked them down so far out. And it, they said if you put all the wood together that it killed just in the Douglas fir trees, you could build 200,000 three-bedroom homes. I don't know who does all that kind of figuring. I don't know what's going on there. All I know is what they're trying to say is it was a big explosion. But I got news for you. There was a bigger explosion on the day of Pentecost when God sent his Holy Ghost upon his people and God exploded into the world. And the world has never been the same because of the power we have. Don't you say, I don't have any power, Brother Steve. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You've got the indwelling Holy Spirit. I don't have any power to deal with this sin. Yes, you do. You can be more than a conqueror through Christ who dwells within you. The Bible says they prayed for fresh fillings of the Holy Spirit after they'd been baptized. Acts 4.31, when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak the word of God with boldness. What would happen if we all got filled afresh with the Holy Spirit and left this place today as a launching pad? And we went to our neighborhoods and we went to our work tomorrow and we went to our schools tomorrow and we went to the places all around us and we just started sharing Jesus with lost people. What do you think would happen? People would get saved. We, we, we wouldn't have enough time to baptize them just on Sunday. We'd have services all the time because God would come upon this town. God would come upon this city. People would be changed. New creations in Christ. Old things pass away. New things come. They'd be born again and everybody would see their testimonies and they'd want Jesus in their lives. It is not by power. It is not by might. It is not by us. It is by the power of the spirit of the living God that God does things. Oh, help us, Lord Jesus, to take the gospel to the world and to do it with the power of the precious Holy Spirit. How are we going to take the gospel to the whole world? How are we going to reach these people, 150,000 of whom they never even have heard the gospel, dying every day? Well, we've got to notice the priority of world evangelism. We've got to share the gospel. That's got to become a priority with us. And then the power of world evangelism. We can't depend on our power. We've got to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. But guess what? God doesn't just give, make us give the priority of world evangelization and the power. He also gives us a plan. God has a plan for world evangelization. You say, what is it? Well, it's given right here. Look at verse 8. 
You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. That's where we start. We start in our Jerusalem. We must evangelize locally. You shall be witnesses in Jerusalem. Where were they standing when Jesus told them that? In Jerusalem. If they'd been in Galilee, he said, you shall begin in Galilee. Guess what? You start where you are. You start with your neighbors. You start with your family. You start with your co-workers, with your fellow students. You witness. I made a commitment years ago that I would not let anybody come to my house without telling them about Jesus. I keep these gospel tracts. We give them to you all that you can get any anytime you want to pick up some gospel tracts. You can go right over there. Now, don't, don't be that guy that picks up every one of them, okay? But go over there and pick you up a five or six and pass them out this week. I don't know how they did it, but my evangelism professor told me in seminary that when you give out a gospel tract like that, before it's thrown away, seven people will read it. Seven people will read it. And so I keep those with me at all times. And when people come to my house, the other day we, my garage door wouldn't work. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a pain. I don't know if you've ever had that happen, but it just broke. One of the big springs broke. I didn't know what was going on. So I called the guy that knows how to do that stuff. I'm so glad I don't have to know how to do that stuff because other people know how to do that stuff. And so I called the people that know and gotten to know him pretty well. He's installed our, our, our garage doors and all that. I said, hey, the thing's broken. He said, I'll, be, I'll have them out on Monday. So they came on Monday. And these guys came out, and I just felt led to share the gospel. Now, I'll just be frank with you. They weren't just real open to it, but they weren't, you know, they didn't say no. I gave them the gospel, shared my testimony. And you say, Brother Steve, do you think you did any good? Look at me. The, the wind is not necessarily where they, whether they receive the gospel. The real wind is if you share the gospel. I don't know if they prayed to receive Christ. I gave them enough gospel that they could have. But I wanted to, to be a witness. Now, I don't see just a lot of people get saved one-on-one. -on -one. We see a lot of people get saved at our church. But you know what? I'm going to share the gospel anyway and just tell people about Christ. I think people, to be frank with you, are harder toward the gospel right now than they have been in my whole time of ministry. But if you will love them, and if you will meet a physical need for them, that's what we do with Bellevue Loves Memphis, people will open up to you in that way, and they'll let you share the gospel. If you'll be kind, if you'll be loving, and just be gracious to them, that's the way to witness the lost people. And every one of us can do that. We can share the gospel in our Jerusalem. Don't go to Africa if you won't go to Arlington. <laughs> Don't go to Brazil if you won't go to Beale Street. Don't go to China if you won't go to Cordova. Amen? I mean, I'm not saying don't go to those other places, but start here. Evangelize where you are locally. And then regionally. We must evangelize regionally. He said you must 
You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea. Bellevue should do the same. We should share the gospel in Memphis, all the suburbs, but then we need to go out to West Tennessee, to northern Mississippi, to eastern Arkansas. I'll be preaching tonight in Newburn, Tennessee. How many of you really know where Newburn, Tennessee is? Anybody? Okay, I mean, you could drive there is what I'm talking about. Okay, all right. Well, I'm going there tonight. And, you know, I'm not trying to brag on myself, but, you know, I, I don't have to preach tonight. I could have stayed at home, done something. That's fine. But I feel like we need to get the gospel out to other people. You say, well, that's good for you, Brother Steve. You're a preacher. I'm not a preacher. That's not just for me. You can witness to other people in other areas as well. When you're out and about, carry gospel tracts with you. Just spread the love of Jesus Christ. Be kind to people. Now, if somebody gets your order wrong and you're ugly to them, they're not going to listen to you talk about Jesus. Can I get a witness out there? I ordered a large milkshake. You didn't need one to begin with. You're not going to win anybody talking to people like that. What's wrong? Get over yourself. Get over yourself. Be kind to people. Be nice to people. And you'd be surprised how many people, if you'll just be kind and nice, if you share a gospel track with them, they'll respond. That's why we have men's conferences here. That's why we have women's conferences here. That's why we have Christian concerts here. And that's why we do the Seeing Christmas Tree, to get them in to share the gospel with people in our region. And then we must evangelize across ethnic lines, ethnic groups. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. Everybody say the word Samaria. Those were people that the Jewish people hated. They considered them half-breeds. They were part Gentile, part Jewish, and they didn't like that. And so they said, we'll just hate them. But Jesus didn't hate them, did he? Do you remember in John chapter 4 when he went to the well by himself and witnessed to a lady that had been married several times? Did you know that she was a Samaritan? Did you realize when his disciples came and saw him talking to a Samaritan woman, they were shocked that he was talking to a woman, but also that he was talking to a Samaritan woman. And not only did she get saved, but Jesus went to the little village there and a bunch of people of the Samaritans got saved. Well, you know, Jesus then said, you shall receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses both in uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. He put it right in there. And the first one to pick up on it was a deacon named Philip in Acts chapter 8. And he went to Samaria and all kinds of people started getting saved and healed and delivered. And God was moving out in these concentric circles. They started in Jerusalem. Then they branched out to Judea. Then they crossed the ethnic ethnic lines, and they said, you know what? God's not just the God of the Jews. He's the God of the Gentiles. And how does that apply for us today? Anybody and everybody ought to be welcome in these doors at Bellevue, or we ought not to, we ought to just shut the doors if they're not. Amen? Anybody out there? And I hear, heard some people say, I hadn't heard it at Bellevue, but I have heard people say, well, everybody just needs to worship with their own kind. With their own kind. What are you talking about? Well, everybody should just worship with people of their own kind. 
Well, we are worshiping with people with our own kind. Our kind, we're all a bunch of sinners that deserve to go to hell. Amen? That's what we should do is worship with anybody. Man, I, I, I tell you what, we're going to find out when we get to heaven. We all came from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve going to come up and said, y'all are all related. You all came from us. Do you believe that? Are you angry at somebody because they have a different color of skin? Told you before about my little granddaughter. She's 13 now. I can't believe that, my oldest. We were eating one day. I said, Olivia, are you white? She said, nope, I'm khaki. I said, am I white? She said, no, you're red. I said, it's because I take prednisone, baby. I've been taking it a long time. All you Caucasian people, you're not white. That's white. You'd be dead if you looked like that. All you black people out there, you're not black. You're dark brown, but you're not black. All of us are different shades of brown. Did you know that? And why in the world would we let pigment separate us? Why? God help us. God help us. There is one race, the human race, and we're all part of it. And let's just love each other. Let's just love each other. We should evangelize ethnic groups. We should evangelize nationally. Again, America has got so many lost people in it. How can we say it's a Christian nation? I'm so grateful for the North American Mission Board planting churches all over North America, even in Canada. Just, just horrible spiritual conditions in Canada. But we're evangelizing nationally. And then we're going to evangelize internationally to the ends of the earth. Why should anybody get to hear the gospel twice when so many people have never heard it once? We've got to take the gospel to the nations, to the nations. Could we put our verse back on the screen? Would you all stand up with me, please? Acts 1.8, could we put that on the screen very quickly? Would you read it with me one more time? This is the last words of Jesus before he went back to heaven. Read it with me now. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Look at that now. Oh, I, I see it there, yeah. I see, I see the priority of world evangelization, don't you? You shall be my witnesses. I see the power, don't you? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, literally come within you, Epirchamai. And then I see the plan. We're going to start in Jerusalem. We're going to start right here in Cordova. Then we're going to branch out to all of Memphis and Shelby County and the Mid-South, West Tennessee, 
eastern Arkansas, north Mississippi, that's our Judea. Then we're going to go over into Samaria and we're going to touch lives of people with different skin color and ethnicity because we all came from Adam and Eve and we all need to be saved. There's only two kinds of people in the world, not black and white, not Republican and Democrat, not Alabama and Tennessee. <laughs> no, no, saved and lost, saved and lost. That's it. So we're going to go to our Samarias. And then you know where else we're going to go? We're going to go to the ends of the earth. We're going to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Because that's what Jesus told us to do. He is the boss. I'm not the boss and you're not the boss. He's the boss. And we do what he tells us to do. And how do we do it? Pray, give, and go. Say it with me. Pray, give, and go. You can pray for missions, and you should. Get that little magazine, that little pamphlet, and start praying for missions. You can give. How much should I give? That's totally up with you and God. I don't tell you how much to give. But I know that anybody can give something. If you've got a dollar, you can give a dime of it. And I didn't, I didn't come up with that an elderly woman in my church in Jackson, Tennessee, who had raised eight children by herself. Her husband died when they were young. She raised eight children by herself. She said, I've always tithed because I always said, if I've got a dollar, I can give a dime of it. So you give, but then you be willing to go and say, Lord, wherever you want me to go, I'll go.